Hey, I'm your host, Sarah Sennett. I'm a master's qualified digital marketer. Together, we're going to up-level your marketing game. My aim for the Marketing Mindset Club is to give you clarity on how to create and communicate value. Learn the latest marketing techniques, build your skill set, and develop the confidence you need to get the results you want. Hello, hello, hello. We're back for season two, episode two of the Marketing Mindset Club podcast. How are you doing this week? Are you making progress and achieving the things that you want? Tell me what you're working on at the moment because I am really curious to know and I'm particularly interested if you're struggling with a barrier, share it with me on Instagram at Marketing Mindset Club and I might cover it in a future topic. Did you enjoy last week's episode? Thanks everyone who's getting stuck into the season and downloading the episodes. I know I say it every time, but it really does make all this worthwhile to know it's helping you out. I'm a little late recording this episode, and we've just heard the devastating news that the notorious RBG has departed this world. For those who don't know who I mean, I'm talking about the legend that is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She was lately a Supreme Court Justice in the US, but so much more than that. She championed equality and represented both men and women in over 400 discrimination cases. We owe so much of what we think should just be normal when it comes to gender equality, to legislative changes and precedents that she achieved. If you want to know more about this amazing individual and why her life's work matters so much, check out the Legendary Tales podcast episode devoted to her work and life. Anyway, moving on. This season in Marketing Mindset Club is going to follow the same structure as season one. So for those who are new here, welcome in. Uh, This is how it's going to go. Each episode is going to cover the digital news bit and what matters about the top stories. The learning bit, where I'll deep dive on a tool, a technique or a strategy you can use. And the real life lessons bit, where I'll talk about results I've seen or have been shared from other marketers. So, on to the digital news bit. First off, the C word. No, not that one. Or that one. But Christmas. That C word. By the time this episode comes out, it'll be about three months to the day until Christmas. I'm so excited. I am a real fan of Christmas and nothing is going to dampen my spirits about it. But this year, the experience might be forced to be different. And there may yet be limitations in place on how many family and friends you can get together with or how many households can be in the same space. The nation and indeed the world has been through a real trauma this year thanks to COVID-19. So it's going to be difficult to have a full bells and whistles Christmas. Now, Mark Ritson recently spoke to this in an article on Marketing Week, suggesting that brands need to gauge the emotional state of the nation when planning their Christmas ad campaigns. And I am in complete agreement with that. If you listened to episode one of this season, you'll know that I spoke about research that found shoppers were planning to start buying earlier this year. The online Christmas shopping experience is due to start early. However, Ritson quite vehemently thinks this survey was, and I quote, 100% stupid. From what I can gather, his main gripe with it is the notion of asking people how they will behave in six unpredictable months from the time of the survey. Now, 
I'm not sure I agree with his take on this. Yes, there is undoubtedly more uncertainty to come that will impact our families and our lives, but for people who are truly invested in the Christmas experience, the true Christmas nerds like me, you know who you are, it doesn't matter what happens over the next three months, Christmas is still going to be fabulous. Because we'll make it so. And that doesn't have to mean big expenditure. And perhaps that's where the nuance of his comments lay. For brands who rely on the Christmas period to generate between half and 80% of the year's revenue, consumer spending and the propensity to shop will probably vary between now and then. So if you're a retailer or an affiliate, there's still a very good reason for getting your e-commerce offer as optimized as possible. There will be, on some level, a Christmas-hungry audience out there. If you can diversify your offer or increase your presence across a number of marketplaces, plus make good use of your existing customer data to drive repeat business, you'll be in a good place. Also in recent news, Facebook and Google announced they are going to become carbon-neutral businesses. And this means they join Apple and Microsoft to become net-zero carbon businesses. The next step after that is these businesses committing to become powered by green energy only, which is on Google's list to achieve by 2030. But the article that I've linked from the show notes says that this fresh commitment from the top four puts Amazon at the back of the pack. Their distribution network is the big challenge and although they've purchased 100,000 electric vehicles, those aren't due to hit the roads until 2030, so they are lagging behind. And it made me think back to something I read a few years ago that was a study on the carbon footprint of the internet. I've linked to it from the show notes. But back in 2010, The Guardian estimated that powering the internet generates 300 million tonnes of CO2 a year. Let's let that sink in for a minute. That's the same emissions as more than half the fossil fuel burned in the UK that year. More than half! It said service processing, sending and receiving just a single spam email would create 0.3 grams of CO2. A real email with real content would create 4 grams of CO2. And a long email with a tiresome big attachment would create 50 grams of CO2. And this got me thinking. Every time we do a bit of junky marketing, we send a less than engaging email, we're creating carbon waste. And I think more than doing the brands we're marketing a disservice, we're also doing our planet a huge disservice. If there was ever a time when we need to be more mindful of our impact, it's now. So I'm just putting it out there. The next time you're not 100% happy with something and you're thinking about just chucking it out anyway, please reconsider. Be mindful about the waste you're creating, but also the impact, or lack thereof, uh, that you're creating for the audience. I also wanted to talk about uh, the recently launched Pret Coffee subscription initiative. This follows a summer of closures and job losses. And even though the country is getting back to work in some areas, branch footfall for Pret is estimated to be down by about 80%. So they've come up with this subscription plan that for £20 a month gives customers up to five drinks per day. It's designed to get customers coming back into store rather than just for the convenience they're trying to create loyalty. And it got me thinking, what can we learn from their strategy? And I think there's a couple of things here. 
The first is that if you have a business that's hospitality focused, is there a way you can create a subscription model for some of your products or services? If you're a cafe or takeaway, can you create a dining club style rewards program that gives back to customers after a certain time or spend level? Or if you're in the FMCG world, that's fast moving consumer goods for those unfamiliar, can you do a subscription service that offers added value or reward points or discounts for certain purchases? Amazon has already got into this game and several other retailers have as well by offering a small discount for products you want to order on a regular basis. The other thought I had is about loyalty and this applies to any business that values repeat sales. And I caveat that because I once heard that a cold sales caller tried to convince a wedding dress shop owner of the value of repeat business before he'd established what kind of business it was. Loyalty matters to most businesses, so beyond creating the best possible experience and delivering the best possible products and services, what can you do to promote loyalty? One thought I had is about context. Your audience is experiencing the upheaval of COVID and all the parents in the country now are also dealing with children going back to school or nursery or college. If you can understand the context that your audience is in, you can work out how best to help them and consistently showing up as the solution, the escape, the antidote is going to build loyalty. So how do you understand that context? Uh, there's a couple of things. One is social listening, so listen to what your audience is saying on social channels. You can do this with tools like Awario, Sprout Social or Mention. Um, the second is comments. Really read the comments your audience are leaving on your content and social media. The third is content testing, so develop some test protocols where you minimise the variables and test out different types of content at different times of day. And the fourth is use the AIs. If you're doing ads, make the use of AI-generated contextual and in-market audiences. People's behavior changes so frequently, you can use the AIs built into platforms like Google Ads and Facebook Ads to create your audiences dynamically. So, onto the learning bit. And this week, I wanted to talk about why it's important for most and probably all businesses to grow their following on the appropriate social channels. Now, Let's start by quantifying what I mean by the appropriate social channels. Not every business is right for every social media channel. I've also never yet met a business that has the resources to grow a following on every single social media channel out there effectively. So there are a couple of questions here. One, how do you decide which social media channels are right for your business? And two, how can you leverage different aspects of each platform to grow your following? So let's start by addressing that first one. How do you decide which social media channels are right for your business? The first point is goals. What do you want to achieve by growing your following on social media? We know it can be a crucial part of generating awareness, building engagement and generating sales for so many businesses. But what specifically do you want out of it? If you think back to the very first episode of the Marketing Mindset Club, we talked about the SWOT analysis and how to develop strategies based on your situational analysis. You could be building an attacking or growth strategy, or you could be working on a defensive strategy to fend off the competition. 
what is your key goal? For instance, if you're launching a new product, social media could play a part in getting your offer in front of a new audience. Or maybe you want to drive repeat business from your existing customers. Your social media program could add value and help create loyalty, as we've already talked about. The second point is brand, and this relates to which social media channels are most relevant to your brand. And that's not the same as complementing your brand because it might not be your strategy to simply fit in, but it's about deciding which channels are most likely to help you achieve your goal. I don't believe there's such a thing as a bad fit. There might just be an unconventional fit. For instance, I can see lots more luxury brands coming to younger channels like TikTok because they want to cultivate the future generation of customers. And it's not what you would call a traditional fit for a luxury brand, but you can see why they're doing it. I can also see more meme style content coming to channels like LinkedIn because after all, we're all human and even in a business environment, we still have personalities. Anyone who's encountered the this is not Facebook club, we'll know what I'm talking about. And that brings me on to the target audience. And this might be a bigger defining factor that influences your channel choice than any brand considerations. Understanding where to find your target audience is crucial for achieving your goal. So how do you find out who is on which platform? The answer, look at the freely available demographic breakdown of the audiences on each platform. There's a ton of articles out there that cover this and a recent one I've seen from Sprout Social collated demographic data for the top platforms from various sources into one article which I've linked from the show notes. The kind of insights you can get from this type of data are, for instance, that Facebook usage is most prevalent in 25 to 30 year olds and upwards. So you can infer from that it's not going to be great for reaching a younger audience in volume. India and the USA boast the largest volumes of Facebook users and in the US, 73% of those are in an urban area. So you're starting to understand the context of the audience. If you're interested in Instagram, you might like to know that 75% of 18 to 24 year olds use the platform and that users are also more likely to be female than male. So by understanding who is using the platform, you can build a picture of their context and the needs that might be met by consuming your content. Which brings me on to my next point. What are you going to fill your own profile with and how are you going to bring value to the community on the platform? Remember, as a marketer, you're always trying to create a value exchange, giving of something in exchange for something. And the exchange is usually a sale or a sign up or the action that you're trying to drive. So what are you going to give in order to drive that? So you need to decide what resources your business has for creating content and which platform is best suited to displaying that. For instance, if your business is largely virtual and provides research reports, Facebook might not be the best place to grow an audience. You might want to consider LinkedIn, where the context of the audience is more business focused and open to receiving your offer. On the other hand, if you have a boutique that sells products, you might consider Instagram as you have access to a large potential of visual content in your business. So it's about deciding on what's the best fit for your resource, as once you start growing your social footprint, it's worse to just stop. And that's the final takeaway from this section. When you've considered your goals, your brand, your audience and the channel, 
The final question is about sustainability. How will you maintain a regular output and continued interaction with your growing community? It's important that you know the answers to those questions before you set out. In next week's episode, we're going to cover more about the specifics of each platform and how to leverage different types of functionality. So stay tuned for that one. In the real life lessons bit this week, my experience has been about battling various ad platforms to get creative to go live and stay live. And you can tell from the way I'm saying that, it's been absolutely exhausting. For various reasons, we have been coming up against some things I've not experienced before. So I thought I'd share the two top issues that have been challenging me this week. The first was an issue that popped up in Google ads in relation to some search and display ads that we're running for a client. So the ads were running just fine, referring traffic to an event registration page. And then over one weekend, we saw that the ads had all been disapproved due to malicious software on the site. Now, the site itself was still live with no obvious issues. There was nothing showing in Google Search Console where you'd usually expect to see some security issues highlighted. So our natural assumption was that Google Ads has somehow got this one way off base. I should add that we don't host the site in question, so we couldn't do that side of the analysis to see if anything really had gone on. So we spent the next week appealing the issue with Google every day and continuing to get rejected. We got to the point where Google support asked us not to contact them for another 24 hours. And this is in spite of the client's hosting company insisting that nothing was wrong. Um, they were not aware of any issues. So we had to go back to the idea that there could be something wrong with the site. And we finally managed to find out what was triggering the issue. It was a very curious bit of malware that only seems to divert users the first time they visit the site from their IP address. Anyway, at the time of recording, the hosting company of this particular site, as I say, not my company that I work for, are still investigating. And occasionally, if you search for this business, you can still sometimes be affected by the malware. So I guess the lesson here is the next time Google disallows some ads, they might not actually be totally wrong. Second issue was an unknown delivery error with several Facebook ads. We've got eight different ad sets running for one client right now, and each ad set has at least six different creators. And sometime after we got all the ads up and running and approved at the beginning of the campaign, we started to see delivery errors appearing on some, but not all ads. The issue presented as a red triangle in the ad interface with an error message that said, you do not have permissions to access this profile. That's odd, seeing as how not all ads were effective. Now, Nothing we can see had changed in terms of user credentials, page or ad account passwords. We hadn't suddenly been removed from any of the key properties. So what on earth was going on? I scoured the account for a good couple of days. I tried giving permissions to a different individual on the account and they still couldn't get the ads to launch. So in time-honored IT fashion, we decided to turn it off and on again. I got our client to remove all our credentials from their business manager account. I then re-requested access to create ads on their page and admin access to the ad account. Lo and behold, solved the problem straight away. Also, we thought the issue it seems is coming from ads that were created in Creative Hub and then sent to Ads Manager. 
It's apparently appearing as an issue on quite a few forums out there at the moment. As far as I can tell, our ads are now running and delivering as they should. Um, but I'm none the wiser about the exact issue. It could just be a glitch between Creative Hub and Ads Manager, but um, if in doubt, turn it off and on again. And just before we close out this episode, I wanted to share a story posted on Instagram by The Next Web. It's a curious case, a broadband blackout every day at 7am in a Welsh town called Aberhosen. Apologies for the pronunciation. Every day at 7am prompt, the village would lose its internet connection and for 18 months it baffled technicians who investigated and replaced numerous cables in the meantime. The culprit? An old analogue TV set. A spectrum analyzer eventually picked up the source of the interference and led them to a very embarrassed resident who had absolutely no idea what was going on. They felt completely mortified. And the significance of the 7am time? It's when their favourite show was on and they turned the old TV set on and it managed to disrupt broadband to the entire town. For some reason, that just made me chuckle. And I thought I'd share it with you in case you needed to chuckle this week too. So that's all I have for you for now. Thank you so much for coming back to the Marketing Mindset Club for season two. And I'm so glad you tuned in. If you haven't yet subscribed or left a review, please consider doing so if you're getting value from the show. It really helps me out in my goal to grow this club. I'd love to hear your thoughts and comments and questions as always. So head over to Instagram at Marketing Mindset Club and I'll see you next time. 